Now we give a very warm welcome to everyone joining with us for worship today, both those in the building here and uh, those who are joining with us uh, online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 1. It's found on page 200 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song, Psalm 1 at the beginning. That man hath perfect blessedness, who walketh not astray in counsel of ungodly men, nor stands in sinners' way, nor sitteth in the scorner's chair, but placeth his delight upon God's law, and meditates on his law day and night. We'll sing the whole song to God's praise, Psalm 1 at the beginning, That man hath perfect blessedness. Let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we come before you on this, your day. We realize that your revelation to us has told us that in six days you created this vast universe that we find ourselves in, but that on the seventh day you rested. You made that day holy. It is our Shabbat. 
And we thank you that we can come apart from the general routine of life and uh, we can come to this place. We can be with your people. We can explore your book and sing your songs. We can call out to you in prayer and we can preach and hear in your name. But we do realize that all that will be utterly futile if you leave us to yourself. But your promise is that you will be in the midst even of the twos and the threes to bless. And so we pray that we would come this day acknowledging that we are who we are. We come as sinners. The only way we can come. But you so love this world that you sent your only begotten Son into it that whosoever believeth in you should not perish but have everlasting life. And we pray that that will be like music in the ears of every last one of us. We realize that we live in the theater of spiritual warfare. And this day is no exception to it. And this place is no exception to it. The enemy of our souls does not like what we are doing here. But we pray that you would be a wall of fire around us. And that you would enable us to worship you in a way that is well pleasing. We thank you for the sound of little voices in our midst. We thank you also for unborn in our midst. Be a blessing to them all. Be a blessing to each and every one of us. We realize that in you we live and move and have our being. In our folly sometimes we think we can go it alone. In our lack of wisdom we think we can be independent. But at the end of the day our dependence of you on you is utter and absolute. Remember those who are here today with heavy hearts for one reason or another. We pray especially for those who are trying to make the adjustments of having lost loved ones. Strengthen them, we pray, and encourage them. Remember others who are struggling for other reasons. Some who are struggling with issues that we know nothing about, but they are known to you. We pray that we would remember that the psalmist said, O Lord, thou hast me searched and known. Thou knowest my sitting down and rising up, ye all my thoughts afar are known to thee. We cannot get away from you. And we pray that we would find comfort in that this day. Remember, we pray our Queen at this time. We thank you for all the years of service she has given to us. And as she struggles with her own family issues, we pray that you would strengthen her and that you would encourage her. We thank you for the example she has given to us. We pray for all who are in authority, that you would cause them to bow the knee to Christ the King. We think of the war-torn areas of the world this day. We think of the Ukraine and we ask that people who are in positions of power, who are abusing that power, that they might be brought to naught. We pray that you would raise up amongst us, not just in this country, but throughout the world, people who would acknowledge that righteousness alone exalts a nation and that sin is a reproach to any people so be with us we pray please help us enable us to worship you in the way that Noah worshipped you when he came out of that ark what he did was well pleasing in your sight and we pray that you would give us the grace to do that again today and all we ask is in Christ's name Amen Now, a wee story for the young people. I think I told you that um, uh, during lockdown, our Amy decided to get some hens, and she did. She got four hens. But they didn't last very long. 
because one night I forgot to shut them in and they were gone in the morning but at any rate we got more and uh, some of them have disappeared um, but um, we're down to I think seven now uh, I think we got ten and three have gone but I'm going to tell you about one of these hens in, uh, in particular we got these hens from three different places but one of them was a very very scraggy hen she had feathers missing and she didn't look very nice and uh, when people would come about I'll be honest with you I was a bit embarrassed with her all the other hens looked fine but not this one now the hen house is about that high off the ground it's kind of got little legs it's on stilts so to get the hens in I put up there's a wee wee door that the hens can get in and uh, I put a plank of wood up to the door so all they need to do is to go to the end of the plank and they can walk up and get in no bother at all but for some reason or other this scraggy hen would not go in and, and when I would go out at night to, to shut the hens in all the hens would be in the hen house except this one hen and whenever I would go near her she would scuttle off under the hen house so I couldn't get her so what I would do is I would go into the house, I would get a broom and I would push her out and I would try to guide her onto the plank and uh, get her to go up and get, get inside. But I'll be honest with you, I got fed up doing that. So I said to myself, okay, you don't want to go in, you don't need to go in, you can just stay there. And, uh, and that's what happened for maybe a couple of weeks. <laughs> but then she disappeared and I started feeling guilty because I didn't bother putting her in at night and that's why she disappeared now I'm not sure what's taking these hens is it a fox, is it a pine marten I don't know but there's not a feather anywhere I remember one night four hens disappeared and all I could find was one solitary uh, feather but I started feeling guilty that I just didn't bother with the hen. Do you know what I started thinking then? I started thinking I am really glad that Jesus doesn't deal with me the way that I dealt with that hen. Because basically I got fed up looking after her and I couldn't be bothered anymore. And if I think of all the times that I've done things that would annoy Jesus and indeed upset Jesus, but he has never said to me, ever, I can't be bothered with you anymore. That's the difference between me and him. And I want us to remember this as we go along life's journey. Wherever we get ourselves to in life's journey, we are not going to get to a place where if we cry out to Jesus and ask him for help, that he's going to say, no, I can't be bothered with you anymore. We are here today to worship him. And he is really worth worshipping simply because of who he is. And I hope that we are all trusting in him, young and old, and that we will give him the honour that he is rightfully due. Now let's sing again. Uh, this time it's in Psalm number 40. It's found on page... 259 of the Psalter Psalm 40 on page 259 it's at the beginning of the song I waited for the Lord my God and patiently did bear at length to me he did incline my voice and cry to hear he took me from a fearful pit and from the miry clay and on a rock he set my feet establishing my way. We'll sing down to the end of the double verse uh, 5. I waited for the Lord my God.
Now let's read God's word as we find it in the Gospel according to St. Luke and at chapter 7. Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 7, and we'll read at the beginning of uh, the chapter. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But say the word, and let my servant be healed, for I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterwards he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. And he came up and touched the bear, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized, with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized 
by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute to you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Amen, and may God bless to us that reading of his word. Let's join together again in prayer. O Lord, our God. We realize that the leading lights of the day 2,000 years ago in the land of Israel called you a glutton and a drunkard. But they were wrong on that. But they said you were a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They were right in that. We are here this day only because you are a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Not that any of us are tax collectors, but we do realize in the society of that day, the tax collector was the lowest of the low. And we are glad that you have met us at our point of need. We are glad that, and this is so mind-boggling to grasp that before the world was ever created it was in the great blueprint of God that there would be a child in the manger of Bethlehem and that child's birth would be the fulfilment of prophecies that go way back to the beginning of time and that this offer of salvation you have given to us is a uh, made available only because this child grew up to be a man and ultimately at the age of 33 years was slaughtered at a place called Golgotha the innocent condemned so that the guilty might be made free and given everlasting life purely on the basis of gift we pray that we would never ever forget that we pray, O oh Lord, that you would bless us as we turn to your word. Remember those who are not able to be with us today in the building, but who are, have joined with us through other technologies. Be a blessing to them, wherever they might be. Remember our loved ones, wherever they are. Our earnest prayer is that uh, we would indeed all be together, safe in Jesus, for time and for eternity watch over us we pray and bless us all and all we ask is in Christ's name Amen now let's sing again to God's praise this time it's Psalm number 63 and it's found on page it's found on page 295 of the Psalter. Psalm 63, page 295. Lord, thee my God I'll early seek. My soul doth thirst for thee. My flesh longs in a dry parched land, wherein no waters be, that I thy power may behold, and brightness of thy face, as I have seen thee heretofore within thy holy place. We'll sing verses 1 to 8 of Psalm 63. Lord, thee my God, I'll early seek.
Now let's turn to the passage that we've read in John, sorry, um, Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. And uh, we're going to read it, verse 22. It's John the Baptist has sent disciples of his to Jesus to ask Jesus if he is the Messiah or if he's not. And this is the answer Jesus gave. gave. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by uh, me. Now let's get these words into context. I'm basically following on from where I left off last week at uh, the 12 noon uh, service. But let's just get it in context for uh, those who may not have, uh, have been here. John the Baptist was related to Jesus and he was chosen by God to be what we would call or what God called the forerunner of Jesus. In other words, from the very days of Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, there was a promise given that there would be someone, some blessed individual, someone special who would be born into this world, and that person in turn would be a blessing to every nation on the face of the globe. And that person was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. But before Jesus makes himself known, in other words, before he begins his public ministry at the age of 30, John the Baptist is sent out to tell the people, he is here, Messiah has arrived, get ready for him. That was a John's role. And John was, had it revealed to him by God himself who Jesus really was. Now I have to qualify that. John's mother and Mary's mother were first cousins. They knew each other well. They talked to each other often. I think it means this. John the Baptist and Jesus knew each other well. And I think they probably talked to each other a lot as well. But it takes a revelation from God to enable John the Baptist to fully appreciate who Jesus really is. And that's true of every single one of us. That God has to give us insight. And God has to give us a revelation. But as soon as John gets that, he's telling the world, look at him. Behold, he's the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. And John had great confidence about it. And John was used mightily by God to preach to, we believe, tens of thousands of people. He was very influential. He was the focus of attention for a good while. But when Jesus comes along, he realizes what Jesus' place is. And he, his attitude is, Jesus must be lifted up and honored for who he really is. And I must be Lord. So John has got it all right. John knows his place and John knows what Jesus' place is as well. But John spoke to King Herod who was in an adulterous and an incestuous relationship with his brother, his brother's wife. Herodias was her name. And John said this is wrong. It was wrong on the scale of adultery and it was wrong in terms of it being incestuous Herod didn't like it and Herodias disliked it even more she would have gotten rid of John a long time ago but Herod had a conscience and he didn't allow Herodias to have her way on this matter and John is languishing in a prison, in a dungeon really, uh, somewhere to the west of the Dead Sea, about 
I think it's about 8 kilometres west of the Dead Sea and about 24 kilometres from the northern tip of the Dead Sea. But dingy, gloomy, distressing situation. And we looked at that last week and it got him down and he ended up suffering from what we might well call spiritual depression. And in the midst of his depression, he came up with this question. I wonder, did I get it right? Is that person the promised one? Is he the Messiah? Is he the special one? Or is he not? And he sends two of his disciples to Jesus. And uh, here's the answer. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. And we explored that last week as well the answer that Jesus gave but I want to come back to it today and I want us to look at it a bit more closely and there are two things that we want to look at the first thing we want to look at is fulfilled prophecy and the second thing we want to look at is acknowledgement of the prophet and we'll take them in turn but first of all I want to take a leap back over 700 years before that to an Old Testament prophet who was prophesying about Jesus' coming. And in Isaiah chapter 35, this is what we read Isaiah saying. And he's talking about when Jesus will come. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. Now we could go to other areas of Isaiah's prophecy, and look at him saying with a great accuracy what was going to happen when Jesus would come. But before I say anything more, let's remind ourselves of this. We ask the question, what is prophecy? Prophecy is where God teaches us something. He gives it to an individual and that individual then has to pass it on to somebody else. So God gave teaching to Isaiah and Isaiah passes it on to we who are here today through his writings that we have before us in this very book. Now sometimes the prophecy that God gave to any individual foretold things. But that wasn't always the case. I remember in my student days one of the things we were told was this. Prophecy essentially is forthtelling. In other words God speaks to somebody and that somebody has to pass on what God has revealed. But quite often prophecy had foretelling in it but not always but clearly Isaiah's prophecy here has foretelling in it it's predicting what's going to happen when Jesus comes along and here is John the Baptist and John the Baptist is suffering from spiritual depression and in the midst of his spiritual depression he has this question I wonder have I got things right I wonder how many of us are here today as believers and we've got ourselves into the same situation. We're down for some reason or other. We're flat and we're rock bottom and we begin questioning everything. We begin questioning everything. And before we know where we are, we're all at sea and we're all over the place. Well, you know what John did? He sent to Jesus. And he asked Jesus a question. And that is always a good thing for us to do. Turn to the Lord. And, and let's lay out before him what our problems are. Now this is a strange thing. He knows what they are anyway. But he wants us to come and he wants us to spread them out before him. Not for his benefit. For our own benefit. And that's what he does. And here's the answer. Go and tell John what you have seen. And the first thing that's mentioned, or at least the first thing Luke has, and let's remember this, Luke was a doctor. 
And I know that in the doctrine of inspiration, every word is guided by God. Every last word is guided by God. The Greek word is a combination of two words. It's the Greek word for God and it's the Greek word for breathed. So that means this, that all scripture is God-breathed. It comes from God. But that doesn't mean that God overrides the personality of the writer. Let's remember this. The Bible was written over a period of one and a half thousand years. God uses 40 different people and in it all God guides them. It's all God breathed. But God doesn't override their personalities. You can pick up the personalities of each individual writer and Luke is a doctor and he's very interested in things like blindness he's very interested in people being deaf he's very interested in people being being lame but let's just take them one by one go and tell John what you have seen and heard the blind receive their sight and that makes me think of no less than blind Bartimaeus when Jesus was on his final visit to Jerusalem, on the visit that they would put him to death at Golgotha, to get to Jerusalem, he passed through the city of Jericho. And in, or rather on the outskirts of Jericho, blind Bartimaeus is sitting by the roadside. There is no well for his state. He has to live on the basis of the kindness of others. He has to live on charity. And that is a precarious way to live. But he hears a noise and I dare say he asks someone what's happening and somebody's told him Jesus is passing by. Now he must have known something about Jesus but he also knew about his Old Testament that was, was the only part of the Bible that was written at that stage. There was no New Testament then. But he knew that a thousand years earlier, the second king of Israel was given a promise by God that one of his sons would be on a throne, and that throne would last forever. Now, if we were to think in terms of politics, we would think that God's word had failed. Because the political king of Israel did not last in 586 BC. It all fell apart and Jerusalem fell. But God wasn't talking about a political king. God was talking about a spiritual king. And today this son of David sits enthroned on the throne of heaven and sits enthroned on the throne of this universe. Forty days after his resurrection, he rose up and returned to heaven. But right now in Bartimaeus' situation, he's passing through Jericho. And what Bartimaeus does is this. He takes all the knowledge he has I don't know where he got it from. Did he go to a Sunday school? Did he listen to a granny? Did his mother teach him? I'm not sure. We're not told. But he knows that this, this Jesus of Nazareth is the son of David. And he's got it all worked out in his mind. And what he does is this. He starts crying out, Thou son of David, have mercy upon me. And this son of David did have mercy upon him. Not only did Jesus restore his sight, but we believe that he, Jesus gave him spiritual sight as well. Why do we believe that? And what I mean by that is that he's a believer in Jesus. Because we read in the narrative that blind Bartimaeus, when he got his sight back, didn't go off to do his own thing. And didn't live independently and in a mean kind of way. But we read of him that he followed Jesus. I think that's significant. The blind received their sight. Bartimaeus was one of them. But then we're told that the, the, lame, uh, the lame walk. That reminds me of the man who was paralyzed. Who was carried on his mattress and put through the roof 
uh, to Jesus. Remember, his friends wanted to take him to Jesus. Again, they knew something about Jesus. They knew that Jesus could help him. They got to the door. The cloud is so intense and deep that there isn't the remotest chance that they're getting into that house. But these houses with flat roofs had steps going up to them. They, they are absolutely determined. Up the steps they go and they begin taking the tiles apart from the roof or whatever it was on the roof. There's a wee bit of a debate as to how these roofs were uh, 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 constituted. But the roof is open and this man is lowered uh, to the feet of Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said to him before he heals his lameness? He said to him, your sins are forgiven. And those who were in authority there that day were grumbling and moaning and complaining. Nobody can forgive sins except God. But that is the astonishing thing about Jesus of Nazareth. He said from the word of go from the word go, I'm not just a man. I'm God come as a man. And because I'm that I can forgive people their sins. But the leadership were furious with him for saying that. And it's only after... Now, of course, Jesus can say, your sins are forgiven. How can you prove that? That's a spiritual matter. And that's what, the, that's what those in authority were saying. No man can forgive sins except God. But he then goes on to perform a miracle of curing. Just to prove who he is. So the lame man is enabled to walk once again. But there's more than that to it. The lame man has his sins forgiven as well. And then we move on to the lepers. Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. Now, I don't think we really grasp what it was to be a leper in the times of Jesus you know we got fed up during Covid with the whole scenario we were glad to move on it wasn't good for us and when people had to isolate we just didn't like it that isolation was not good but you know, I don't know how long we had to isolate for. Was, I can't, I, I've lost track of, and I'm not even sure how long you have to isolate now if you test positive. But it's not for long. It's not really for long. If you had leprosy, that was you out of the home. Not only were you out of the home, you were out of the village, you were out of the town, you were out of the city. You had to go to a colony because this disease was so contagious. And there was no cure. You know, it was bad enough at the physical level. You lost fingers, you lost toes, and it was not, not good. But at the emotional level, it was terrible. You might have had a child that was gone, and they were gone for good in most cases. It, it might have been a father or a mother that had to go. It was a huge thing. And you know, there was one occasion, you know, the, 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 the lepers, they had to keep shouting out, unclean, unclean, unclean. Just so that people would know that they are there and they are the lepers and keep well away from them. The social isolation was awful. But you know, Jesus didn't body swear the lepers. Even the lepers were cured. And you remember on the one occasion, ten lepers were cured. And one of them, well at least one of them was a foreigner. But only the foreigner came to give thanks to Jesus. And I hope that he was giving thanks, not just for the curing of his leprosy, but for something more than that, for his spiritual leprosy as well. And then we have... Uh, the deaf, the deaf hear. In Mark, uh, and at chapter 7, we read 
of uh, someone who was deaf uh, being cured by Jesus. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment and they begged him to lay his hands on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers in his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epaphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. His tongue was released and he spoke plainly. The deaf were made to hear. But not only that, the dead were brought back to life again. We've just been reading about the widow of Nain's uh, son in this very, or at least the part of the chapter that we have, uh, have read. There were all these things going on. And let's remember what was in the mind of God. God did these stand out things to capture the mind and capture the attention of these people so that they would begin to ask what on earth is going on here and so that they would have questions and here we are in the 21st century and here it is before us and we are meant to have questions as well who is this why is he doing this where does he get his powers from and of course his answer again and again and again was this I am the son of God he wants us to know that he wants us to know that all these astonishing things and you would have thought at the top of the pile of everything was this thing whereby he could bring the dead back to life again but as we pointed out last week that's not what's at the top of the pile listen to this the poor have good news preached to them that's at the top of the pile and here we are today in North Keswick in 2022 and we are poor but we are having something preached to us from the mouth of God now the poverty here being spoken about isn't how much money we've got in our bank accounts that's not what's been spoken about here you'll remember that Jesus preached a sermon once known as the Sermon on the Mount and one of the things that was said is blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and I wonder if we are here this day and we are so poor and we are so impoverished in our spirits and I wonder if we are flatten our face sometimes because we are who we are and we know what we're made up of. Well, if that's the way with us, don't treat that as a negative. Because we're not that way by nature. By nature we are full of pride. By nature we're full of our self-importance. By nature we have massive egos. Do you know these people I was talking about when Jesus healed that lame man but before he healed the lame man he said your sins are forgiven and there was an outcry and do you know why there was an outcry because there were people there who thought that they were great and good people and they were godly people and they made the grade with God we've obeyed God's law and because we've obeyed God's law God's going to give us a pat on the back and God's going to say come on into heaven with me you're such good people well that's what they thought but they were very very wrong they were very very wrong you know the great apostle Paul was going about breathing out threatenings and slaughter he, he witnessed the very first Christian martyr being murdered he looked after the garments of the people who were stoning Stephen to death and so, well he was Saul of Tarsus then he became the great Paul the apostle but he thought he was doing something that would honour God he was religious to the back teeth. 
But he got it all so dreadfully wrong. He was so full of his self-importance. He was so full of his religiosity. But you come to the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus is saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And if you are here this day and you are saying, I am a nothing, my life's riddled with sin, I've messed up everything and all I can ask for is the mercy of God, then don't, don't treat that as a negative. It's a great blessing to be at that place. Don't stop there. Don't stop there. Take it all to this Jesus and ask him to pour his mercy upon you. And he will. Do you remember my children's address today? I got fed up with that creature. And I let her be. And she's gone because of it. Jesus isn't like that. We come to him in all our need. In all our poverty. And in all our wretchedness. And he'll never turn us away. He will never turn us away. And so at the top there's this astonishing thing. The poor in spirit have the gospel preached to them. Now I must move on to my second point. But don't get too worried. I won't take long with it. I realized I've used up most of my time. But it's, that was all about fulfilled prophecy. I want to just say a little bit about acknowledgement of the prophet. Verse 23. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Do you know there were many in the days of Jesus. And I've just spoken. I've given you an example of it. Who saw him perform his miracles. And who listened to his teaching. And they were outraged. And they were outraged primarily because they were offended. And I'm going to tell you why they were offended. The church of the day had made up over 600 rules. And the leaders of that church were saying, you keep these rules, you'll get into heaven. There was no way in the world the people could keep these rules. And because they were failing and failing and failing again, they were in bondage. And they were in misery. And Jesus of Nazareth arrives on the scene. And all these amazing miracles are taking place. And they're saying to him, who are you? What are you doing? Where did you get your powers from? And the answer is just the same. I am the son of God. But that's not at all. He's saying to them, see all these rules. And see the teachings of the church leaders. You cannot do it that way. And I know you can't do it that way. But I've got you another way into heaven. I, because I am the Son of God, can forgive your sins. It was like music to their ears. They never heard anything like it in all their lives before. That there was mercy available for the greatest of sinners. But here's where the great contrast is. These church leaders looked at Jesus and they absolutely despised him. Who needed a saviour like that when you were as good as them? Who needed someone to keep the law on your behalf when you were keeping the law, at least in your own mind, perfectly before God? Who needed to save you when you didn't need salvation at all? Well, that was one way of responding to Jesus. But there were others. When they heard that there would be mercy poured upon them. And all there be drugliness and wretchedness and sinfulness. Who were all ears. And when they heard the sermon on the mount where Jesus said. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They basked in the glory of it and they drank it all in. And they turned their bondage into rejoicing. Or rather, I've got that wrong. He turned their bondage for them into rejoicing. 
And I guess this is the big challenge of this sermon today. The challenge is this. How do we respond to this Jesus? Is he an offence to us? Are we offended with him today as he tells us? We are sinners but he can help us out. Or are we all ears? My hope and prayer is this. That we'll be honest enough with ourselves to put our hands up and to say to this Jesus, who is God come as a human being, I have messed up. And I have messed up big style. And I need your help. You see, if that's our attitude, we are not offended with him. We are not offended And if we are not offended with them, what's the serious scripture saying? Blessed is the one who is not offended with me. May God grant that we would respond to this Jesus in the way that would honour him and in the way that would be of everlasting benefit to us not just in our days and years in this world but on into the myths of eternity as well may God grant that every last one of us would bask in the glory of what's being said to us from the pages of scripture today Let's conclude by singing to God's praise uh, from Psalm number uh, 23. It's found on page. It's found on page 229 of the Psalter. It's at the beginning of the song, and we'll sing the whole song. The Lord's my shepherd. <coughs>
now may grace, mercy, and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest on with each one, both now and forevermore. Amen.